Bethany. And I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. Yay! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) So today we are talking about a movie that like probably virtually no one has seen. I Mm. don't know how I found this movie. (laughs) Yeah, that's an excellent question, actually. I was wondering if you... Had any recollection of that? I I don't. I don't. I think at the time I was doing a lot of Googling and stuff for different things around, and it was probably just luck. Anyway, it is is a movie entitled Brother Born Again, um, and it is a documentary from 2001 is when it came out. And it was a, it was a very, it was, it was not a very uh, expensive documentary and it doesn't look like a very expensive documentary. No, I'm sure the plane tickets were the most expensive part of it. Probably so. But I still really liked it on a rewatch and I have a lot of thoughts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, it is up on YouTube for free. If, if this, I would recommend watching it. It's only like 75 minutes. And if you are like interested in the sorts of things we talk about, and if you're not, why are you listening to us? Um, if you're interested God, yeah. in the sort of things we talk about, um, I actually think this is a, this is a really, this is a really interesting take on many of the things we talk about. Indeed. So, uh, the basic premise of this movie is that the, uh, the filmmaker, Julia Pimsler, has a has a brother named Mark Pimsler, and about she said it was eight years ago. Ten. Ten years ago. Ten. Uh, when Mark was twenty two, he joined a separatist group, a separatist evangelical Christian group, uh, in uh, in Alaska, and has been living there ever since. And because of his and uh, his family, their family is is Jewish. Um, it it seemed like more culturally than religiously. Uh, and this is this is really a mystery to her, both what led her brother to do this and like how to talk to her brother at this point. They really have uh, have struggled to like have communication. She's bisexual and has had relationships with women and uh, he didn't respond super great to that. Um, and she but she really she really wants to reconnect with her brother. Uh, and so she decides she's going to she's going to make this movie and she's going to fly out to Alaska uh, and she's gonna she's gonna talk to him, and she's gonna try to understand uh, where he's coming from, and if there's a way to sort of re reconnect with him. Mm-hmm. So, what did you think of this movie? Did you remember anything about this movie? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I, I kind of remembered most of it as it played out. Although, if you'd asked me beforehand to describe what happened, I don't think I could have come up with much of it. But this movie made me deeply, profoundly sad. Yes. Um, yes. That that is definitely my main takeaway from it. And I feel like in a slightly alternate universe, there is there was a good possibility that you and I would have ended up in a situation very much like this. Maybe. Which I thought was very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Uh, you know, I for anyone who doesn't know, I uh although I guess for us it would have been a little bit like elements of it would have been reversed because you're the one who you know, was the the outsider in the family. True. Um, but uh, you know, I, I uh, we were both raised very religious Christian, and I did a couple years at a very uh, conservative evangelical Bible college. And mm-hmm. you know, if uh, if if I had ever had an experience like the one Mark describes in this movie, mm. which I never did, mm-hmm. uh, 
I feel like there's a chance that uh, I would have ended up in a in a, a situation much more similar to the one he's in than the one I'm currently in, mm. which is fascinating uh, and very sad to think about because yeah. I don't think he's in a good place. <laughs> well, I think he's in a better place now. Um, on on positive. I mean, I hope so. As we as we go into this, he she ran the she ran a version of this story on This American Life. Um, and oh, did you find some follow up information? I did. About this? I did find some okay, follow up information about this. So she, uh, like eight years after, um, well, she ran it originally right about when she ran the, the when she made the movie. But then they redid the story, re aired the story as they sometimes do, um, about eight years after. And Mark had was still still considered himself a Christian, um, but had left the farm and actually is a practicing physician now. Oh, interesting. Uh, so. And she and she got married uh, to a rabbi, <laughs> a male rabbi. man or a woman. Male, male rabbi. <laughs> they have a couple oh, okay. of kids. Um, and now she runs like she she created a company called Pim Speak or something like that. That is about yeah, early I, I, language development with children. Oh, really? Because I looked her up on Twitter uh, just to see if she was there and if you know. And it, t- based on her Twitter bio, it kind of seemed like her whole thing was that she's like one of those business women whose business is helping other women become business women. I think it and may have like, become it's that. It's all like self-help, self-help books and million dollar seminar, seminars about how to become rich and all that kind of thing. Was, I, that was what I first found. And then I looked up the company that she apparently helped co-create or co-founder where she has degrees, maybe two from Harvard or one from Harvard and one from Yale. I, you know, this is very, uh, but when I went back and looked at the, what initially made her, the money that allowed her, I guess, to become what she what she does and who she is now, is um, she created or co-created or whatever a system that w- called PimSpeak that is specifically focused on um, teaching children languages during like the phase of life where they're most the you know early childhood where they're most able to. It did say that, that their father was a foreign languages professor, right? Yes, yes, I believe. Yeah, he, so that he, makes linguistics sense. Linguistics was his was his thing, right. Also, so so yeah, so but okay. Mark is, okay. I believe, from what I could find in Google, living in Philadelphia, I think, um, and is a practicing family physician. So okay. well, that's cool. I tried looking him up on Twitter too, but I didn't come up with anything. Yeah, so. no, I, I had to go a lot of roundabout ways. <laughs> um, so you know, that is a good thing to know uh, that he did. He didn't just stay there. Mm-hmm. For the rest of his life, that that's good. So yeah, so the the movie starts with her sort of trying to explain not just how how Mark really just dropped off the face of the earth like ten years ago, although he he functionally did, um, but how she's like made up stories and stuff. Like when people will ask, you know, she says something about her brother, and people ask her like why he's in Alaska, she'd be like, oh, he's he's studying things. He's right. <laughs> like I made up so many lies. <laughs> about why he's there because it's I don't know how to how to process that. And Mark is her older brother, correct? A couple of years. I was ago. actually a little bit on if they said I missed it. They're clearly very close in age, but there was a couple things where they were talking about like she was talking about memories from high school of him kind of like looking down on her pursuits of things that yeah, gave yeah. Me, that definitely gave me the impression of like he was probably a couple years older. Yeah, I think he I think he's 2 years older than her. So and when they were young, when they were about, I think she said she or I think he was 10, um, mm-hmm. their father died really suddenly of a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was obviously pretty traumatic. And it sounds like it really, 
you know, splintered the family in some ways, or like maybe not splintered, but you know, it 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 threw <laughs> threw things up in the air at <laughs> the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, her mother is also in the in the film periodically, um, and also an aunt of theirs who I love. Uh, <laughs> she was great. Yeah, <laughs> great. Um, but you know, they they uh, she still lives in New York. Uh, where did the mom say she lived? Like Italy or something, right? Or France. She was living out of the out of the country, I think. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah. And uh, you know, they you know, like I said, she uh our our Julia Julie Julia Julia has, you know, degrees from Harvard and you know, is is doing her thing and but she misses her brother. And I think that that is one of like truly the the hardest things to watch for me in this mm-hmm. documentary is that it, it is it is so clear that they love each other mm-hmm. um and yeah. it's <laughs> it's yeah. so clear that he really loves her and that he he is genuinely happy and touched that she has that she is making this effort that she is trying to reach out to him and trying to talk and he wants to talk to her and it's so hard because like she just wants him to say like i love you Including if you're gay, <laughs> like I just want without couching it in right without yeah. and he and you can tell that he wants to right exactly that that's what's so hard is that like I'm like I remember being in that position I remember wanting so much to not say the thing that I was required to say because I didn't really feel it. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I didn't really like dislike people. Because they were queer or atheist or whatever. But like that was the thing I had to say. And it's it's so painful to watch this clearly extremely intelligent young man just desperately like he's 32 when they that's right, he's 32 when they do that filming. So not that young anymore. But uh and he still he still comes across very young though. Yes. I mean, I mean he has spent all of his twenties living in this commune, like and he still looks very young and like, yeah, he doesn't it doesn't really seem like he's done much like, although, I mean, it seemed like he had from what we gather, he he had lived a bit of a life before going to this place. It wasn't like he, you know, he went there as a naive child and got sucked in or anything. He had done a lot of like world traveling and, yeah, you know, he he went to college. He was a he was a person who had like a full life and stuff before this. So it wasn't it's not quite. Like, you know, he's still, you know, mentally 18 years old or whatever. But he did basically give his entire 20s to this this group and has just been living up there through this whole period of his life without, in you know, in, in this town in Alaska that's only accessible by boat and airplane, like yeah. really isolated mm-hmm. without any, you know, any real uh, contact with much of the outside world. Yep. And I think it's just... It's it's so hard to and I, I hope that when he came out like whatever he apparently has maintained his Christian beliefs at least he had you know ten years ago, um, mm-hmm. but I hope that when he came out he like went to therapy. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, just because they talked about that a little bit as a thing that she recommended and he had tried and didn't really feel like right. it was helping at all. But right, yeah, you know. and she like. You know, that that conversation where he talks about like, yes, this is this is stuff that happened when my dad died. It was right. And then he just like he just wraps up that that sentence with like, but that's all in the past. I'm not worried about it now. Right. And I was just like, yeah. Babe, like everything you just said, 
that's not true. Like, I don't know how to tell you. It reminded me of when we talked to our dad about his father and like everything Mm -hmm. about his like body language and his physical response to these questions makes it like painfully fucking clear that he is not okay. Yeah. But he believes that he is okay. (laughs) Which is really dissonant and confusing to talk to. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so she she flies out to Alaska, and I I have to say I w- I was overall genuinely very impressed with her like determination and overall like pretty decent ability to try so hard to like be open minded about this, mm-hmm. to, like really hear what he was saying. To, I mean, yeah, she does a really good job of. I mean, she, there are there are times where she's clearly getting frustrated, but she does a really good job of like not letting that rule the conversation. And yeah, no, I mean, she clearly <laughs> has been through a lot of therapy. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know, there are multiple times when she's doing this and she's asking some of these questions where I'm like, you know, I appreciate truly, I truly appreciate you as a person really trying to like have these conversations this is like i'm not mark is worth it but the rest of these people like you are showing an openness that will in no way be returned and (laughs) if anything would be taken advantage of i feel like you get a little bit of it returned with a couple of the people but the most notably the one who was born there the the teenager that she talked to in that one scene who, you know, he he doesn't know to hide. <laughs> no, it's true. That was really interesting. She like talks to this kid and she's like, hey, like oh okay, like this 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 group apparently was started in like the sixties and seventies, and apparently there was sort of there was a number of separatist groups that like bought land in Alaska. Yeah, no, I was actually gonna ask you if you had uh tracked down anything specific about who this was. Not really. Because like, I think I I think I did. I it's think a little I bit... found them, but they weren't going by the same name. I don't know. Yeah, there it's a little vague. It doesn't say specifically, but there was there was a a charismatic Christian movement called the Move. Yes, yes, that is uh, what I found. right. And I, I'm pretty sure that it's the same thing because they did have people in Alaska, and also in that scene where they interviewed the guy who was the elder. Uh, he referred to Brother Sam as like the head of their thing, and that movement was founded by a guy named Sam Fife. Okay. So I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And they they have some pretty dark stuff in their, uh, you know, their Wikipedia page. Shock. Surprising. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Do you want to give a couple examples? Or? Um. Yeah. I mean, they have a. Been at the Wikipedia page here, so this isn't exactly like in-depth right. research. Yeah. But uh, there's some like websites and stuff for people who have come out of it. One. Uh, where's the someone? A former group member named Venny Coxis. Kosis, I don't know how you. It's K O C S I S. I'm not sure how you say that, but um, who has has kind of formed a, like put together a website and stuff, uh, but apparently has said that leaders and members subjected her and other children to child labor, neglect, beatings, and for some children even sexual molestation. And there was something about uh, some place in Massachusetts that was like specifically a place, like a place they would send people who they believed were demon possessed or something. Cool, great. Um. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Venny's mother was sent along with the children to one of the group's demon deliverance compounds in Massachusetts, where she lived for four years, and then was moved to the interior of Alaska. Catchy title. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> so yeah, I mean, in a lot of you know, in a lot of ways, it's from what we can see here, it's it's fairly typical, like right, it's what fundamentalist you Christian that. stuff, and it's not like a cult to the point. I mean, you know, they let a documentarian come in with a camera, so it's not like a you know a walled city or anything. But uh, no, and I think that's actually part of the thing when I was watching it that made like okay. <clears throat> to be clear, Joel and I did not grow up in a separatist. <laughs> no, we grew up that's... in a very we grew up we didn't grow up in anything that interesting. <laughs> Ours is much more boring. <laughs> in many ways. But I think that to me, what I saw when they were like, Yes, like these people can come in and stuff is I was like, sure. Like I mean I, I do I do suspect that to some extent they, you know, made things look better for the camera mm-hmm. people or whatever. But for me I was just like, yeah, I mean, if someone had asked to come into our church or whatever and film, then like I feel confident we would have let them mm-hmm. because you believe that you're right and you believe that the Lord will speak through you. Even <laughs> we see this, in, this, this is going to come up in at least one other movie that we watched for this group that I'm thinking of right now. Ooh, which one? Uh, Jesus camp. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a major factor in the, <laughs> the access that they get because these people believe that they're going to come off looking good because they're right. It's a, it's a little bit different in this one. I mean, this is obviously a much more personal yes. know, documentary than that one, but it is. And and she so she goes she goes to, you know, Alaska, which I mean, to be clear, I it's very cheaply filmed and all of that. Beautiful, though. I mean, just just gorgeous scenery. Because I mean, Alaska. yeah, it looks amazing out there. And speaking of <laughs> another quick digression, digression here, speaking of the the how it's filmed and stuff. Did you notice who the cinematographer was? No. So the cinematographer is a woman named Kirsten Johnson. I don't know if that rings a bell for you. She has been a documentary cinematographer for years and just recently came to a level of prominence. She directed that Dick Johnson is Dead documentary. Oh, oh. And, yeah. And her first movie that she directed by herself a couple of years ago was a, a documentary called Camera Person, that, which I have not seen. But yeah, I haven't watched it's essentially yet. it's essentially like a a memoir of her experience as a cinematographer for documentaries. And it's just cut together images from from all of the projects she's filmed over the years so i'm kind of curious to watch it to see if i can spot anything from this one yeah but uh, i I didn't draw that connection i had not realized that until i I noticed it here but her and julia pimsler had also directed they had co-directed together a short documentary in 95 called bintu in paris yeah i was gonna say julia did uh, at least one or two other documentaries i think yeah that's her only other direct that's her only other uh or her only credit as a director she has a couple producer credits on other things okay but, okay uh, yeah film seemed to be a thing she was she was sort of trying out in the yeah. early in her early or years but yeah she's uh she's becoming more of a thing now because she camera person got a lot of attention and then dick johnson is dead was a pretty big deal as documentaries go last yeah. year yeah so. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't draw that. So, yeah, clearly the two of them are, you know, friends, have have worked together for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, so, so, yeah, so they, they go out to Alaska, and I will say, like like I said, this, and as we've said, this is not, like, a high-budget movie, um, but there is, like, a real, there's a there's a real layer of, of genuineness. Like, 
I think I think what it came down to for me is like you can tell that the equipment isn't that expensive. Um, right. I mean, the if they made it today, they would have just shot it on their iPhones and right. it would have looked ten times better. Than it looks. It's clearly just like a digital camcorder. I still think there's for de- there's definitely for real skill in in the editing and the you mm-hmm. know what they what they choose to film. I feel like there's a lot there. Right. Knowing which which of the two of them to have the camera pointed at. Yes. <laughs> during the exchanges of like who to cut to when. There's a lot that that. Uh, a lot that is sort of said without being said. Yes. Which is, I think, so important for movies yeah. like this. You really have to be able to mm-hmm. to show, not tell most of yeah. <laughs> the time. So try to think how best, because mostly the movie is just, it's just a series. It's just like an ongoing conversation with her brother and, and a few mm-hmm. other members of the farm. Do you want to talk about like moments that really stood out to you? Do you want to? I mean, I guess we could talk a little about his story and how he talked yeah, about it together. I think it's worth talking about his story to set it up because that is really important. Uh, and it's something that is it's really interesting to me because, like I said, I, I never had an experience like the one he had uh, where I felt like I'd had some sort of like a real personal encounter with God. I mean, I'm not convinced he didn't have head trauma and or a second. Well, OK, brain, well, but... no, this is uh... this, yeah, <laughs> the, the 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 initial encounter quote-unquote that he had apparently at least this is third party though this came from this like we didn't hear him telling this story this came from this other woman who said that she had told him this we heard him mention bits of it and from what i could tell there's more in the this american life story and it it does seem like he was talking about the same thing okay i just because the specific the specific details of he was having this really bad like suicidal episode and had literally been he had beaten himself over the head with a rock yeah and then fell down a hill or something and then started praying and and believes that he started speaking in tongues right yeah there there is an interesting thing in the way in the way that they tell it he his story actually started a little earlier though he says he was in college and he had a girlfriend and they were sleeping together and he felt convicted this fascinated me too because i i had he had like a significant exposure to evangelicalism before that? Right. Because it didn't seem like he had from the way they were telling the story. And she certainly had not. Yeah, she she clearly she was, had no idea this, what was this going was on. Thing, this was another thing that was consistently interesting to me. It's always interesting to me is because I tend to forget how many people there are in the world and in America specifically that just <laughs> do not know this vocabulary and are not at all familiar with this stuff. And she kind of falls into that basket a little bit. And she does a wonderful job at always being very, very upfront and very honest about what yeah. she Before she goes to see him, she goes to like a Christian bookstore uh, yeah. <laughs> and she's talking to some people about their experiences. And the woman who owns it or works at it or whatever is like, you know, what you need to do is you just you just need to pray. You need to pray to God and say, you know, God, make yourself real to me. And she's like, that doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> And she's like, but like, well, no, but like, but like, you want that, right? Like, you want to be able to. And she's like, no, I just want to understand my brother. (laughs) What you're saying doesn't have any meaning for me. Um, And the woman looked very confused. But uh... (laughs) but but I wonder if this this framing of he was feeling so convicted and guilty about having sex with his girlfriend is something that he has applied to the situation in hindsight. Right. Uh, Because that. He was clearly already like depressed and had a lot of other things going on during that period of his life. And I feel like I have seen people do that a lot. Like our uh, mother? Like our mother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I do wonder if that isn't what was happening there. 
uh, you know, he, in, in hindsight, looking back at these periods of his life where he was feeling depressed and all that, he's picking out, oh, well, it must it was probably because I was doing this thing that God says I'm not supposed to do. Right. Uh, so I, I, I do kind of wonder about that. And to me, at least that would that would help kind of explain the it just doesn't make it doesn't make any sense if he didn't have exposure to this kind of evangelicalism that he would be feeling guilty about it. It doesn't make sense to me. So it's interesting because she is Julia is so good at being really clear and is consistently like looking for really clear answers. And Mark has spent the past 10 years learning how not to give really clear answers. Right. Uh, <laughs> And so most of what he says is couched in like jargon and phrasing that I know Joel and I at least recognize a lot, but it doesn't really mean that much. The, it, he recognizes it too. There's at least yes. a couple times where he says, like he'll he'll start to try to explain something and then he'll kind of stop and it'd be like, well, the Christian way to say it would be this, but maybe to actually make sense, I should say it this way. Uh huh. <laughs> uh huh. No, he, I mean, again, this yeah. is this is a really, you know, he he's a really smart guy. He also, I believe, was in Harvard before all of uh, this. He was at Berkeley. Berkeley, whatever. I mean, you know, so big, uh, big win for the the commune there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's clear. He's clearly a very intelligent guy, and a very intelligent guy who specifically was raised in like a very intellectual focused family and environment, and right. and you can see him like trying to find ways <laughs> to like and, and this comes up several times finding ways to stop intellectualizing because his intellect is the problem right and they talk th that scene with where they where she's interviewing the elder whose name i can't remember yeah i can't he answer. talks about that specifically yep. like he he says it in those terms like basically we he's a very smart guy and we had to come up with a way to get him to stop using his intellect that's literally the way he describes it, which is fascinating to me because that's I feel like that's that that blunt of terminology about that would not have been used that we grew up in. I mean, the the circles, at least my experience with it was always that it was it wasn't a matter of telling yourself that you had to turn off your intellect and not think about things. It was a matter of convincing yourself that you were using your intellect right. in part to get to these convictions so it was it was a it was a different approach uh and this one might honestly this one might be more effective than the one that we grew up with yeah because <laughs> it's it's tougher to fool yourself based on the outcome when you're also like yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean i have part of his quote from that he said it's spiritual it's relaxing and calming but if it's intellectual it's, it's something I can't remember what he called the intellectual thing. And then he said, and then he ended that sense of what needed to be broken was his intelligence, mm -hmm. um, which, which, yeah, is one of those things where it's like, bro, do you not hear yourself? Yeah. Do you think this is going to come across well, but like he doesn't <laughs> like, why, why would he like every, like, you know, he's preaching to the choir literally all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, so, you know, these things sound reasonable when you are, when you're in them. Like, right. that's that's how that works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're surrounded only by other people who believe it, then uh, it's pretty easy to or to not think about it too much. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so apparently Mark was in college. He was having a lot of depression stuff. It sounds like he, he was probably he was bouncing around a little bit, I would say. Um, he, like Joel said, he did some traveling. He, you know, did stuff. And he says, you know, he wasn't happy. And it sounds like. You know, his sister and him had talked about that a little. She she had been somewhat aware that he was experiencing depression. Like Joel said, she had said, you know, look, I, I figured out a lot. And actually, 
that specific conversation, <laughs> there were definitely multiple points in this movie where I thought of you and me, uh, but that, <laughs> that specific, that specific part of the conversation where she was like, where he says something like, and you were telling me that the fact that dad died so young uh, when I was younger, whatever was impacting me now. And he kind of like brushes that off and like, I feel like we had conversations <laughs> where I was like, Okay, but like mom and dad though, <laughs> like this, and then it took you a while, yeah, to think that that might be impacting you, uh, mm-hmm. and you know where she she's just like really trying. She says something like, "Okay, like I, I sometimes feels like I worked my issues out through therapy, and like you worked your issues out through this." And he was like, "Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that would be you know," and she's like, "It's just that like." I want you to think that my way is also valid. Right. <laughs> like, and, and apparently, and apparently you can't. And he kind of, again, he, he goes into a lot of mumbling. Like he just, you can tell mm-hmm. that he wants to, but he just, he just can't. Um, so yeah, he claims he came up to Alaska um, and got invited to the farm yeah, he came up there just to the same thing he'd been doing other places, just kind of bumming around and trying to experience the world and stuff. He said he worked as a logger for like a year. And I would say this this is another important thing is that he really loves the outdoors. He really loves right. like he is he is a guy who might be more, you know, for me, the idea like I would totally go visit that place. But the idea of living in that place sounds like an actual hell to me. I am not that kind of outdoorsy. Yeah, person. I don't think I could do it for more than a couple weeks. But he is, and like, and so you know, so he was vulnerable. He got invited, and he was vulnerable, and he was kind of isolated. Didn't have a lot going on. Just really top possible situation for a couple mm-hmm. months. Uh, and he is invited to this place, and he comes to like a couple of church services, and is like is interested. And while he's there, he meets. Um, this the mom I think of of a person that he's been hanging out with and is clearly like again he's looking I, I think he's looking for for care for parenting mm-hmm. I think it's significant that like the first thing that she does when he um, when he comes to her house for lunch or whatever she gives him a haircut she right yeah you know I, just yeah that's very significant clearly yeah right she takes care of him and and he needs that and that it's totally valid to need that it sucks that it's mm-hmm. connected to. <laughs> do all this other stuff (laughs) so so yeah so she and she starts talking to about jesus or whatever and then he go he stays for i think a couple months or something he didn't stay yeah i think he was there for a summer and then and then he went back to school yeah and then he was calling her right he stayed in touch he stayed in touch he was really struggling he was calling her like crying like just really really struggling with depression and stuff and you know she would pray with him and and it's just, it's so, it's so easy to see, like, how this would happen. Like, even from the perspective of someone that, like, literally there's, there's, I cannot fathom a world in which I would go back to what I grew up with. But if that isn't what you grew up with, I think it's easy to see, like, how he needed something that for whatever reason he wasn't feeling able to get from his family or whatever, and, you know, this person was there and mm-hmm. consistently there and had an answer, if not, you know, <laughs> it was some right. kind of answer. And and there's also there's another interesting little bit because he, he had mentioned a couple times having gone and spent time in Israel. Yeah. 
And there's the scene towards the end with where Julia is having a conversation with their uncle and he asks her what the place was like. And she kind of jokingly says that it was like a kibbutz. Right. And and her uncle says, well, that makes sense because he was in a kibbutz in Israel. Right. Right. And apparently like so that which like a they're like communal. I mean, communal communities is a weird <laughs> phrase, but I think that's my understanding of uh, their like agricultural communes he is drawn so, to right clearly this is something that he already has uh, he already has uh, a tendency towards we don't really get much of a sense of what their home life was like other than their dad died when they were young but right. he was clearly missing something well and it's clear that him and his sister were close in various ways i think right i think we can see that but also it's it's complicated um and as they and again i think they sort of they sort of grew apart a little bit well and then a lot but so <laughs> initially a little bit <laughs> and i think so so he's he's having what sounds like just a tremendous amount of depression and anxiety um and he is calling this woman who i'm not gonna say like i'm sure she believed what she was saying like i i don't mm-hmm. she's like you know what i mean but but she is like taking symptoms of like mental health struggles and saying ah this is because you you don't love Jesus enough. This is because, you know, you haven't given yourself over to the Lord. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is like, and so, and you know, I mean, like religious psychosis type of stuff is a thing. And it's, you know, it's because you are putting, that is the frame that you are giving for this thing. And so that is what you attach to it. And he apparently had some sort of breakdown. And we, it is true, at least that, I mean, at least it seems to be true, even though you're right, he didn't tell the specifics of the story as much as she did. But, but it seems to be true where, you know, Julia was like, I didn't, you were apparently suicidal. Like you, you said you were going to kill yourself if God didn't respond. Like I, it feels weird to know that someone you love was like that close to being not alive. And he doesn't disagree. I mean, it's, it sounds like so I so I don't know. The, the point is that apparently he had like some breakdown in a park somewhere and started, you know, telling God he needed it, basically like threatening God at Rock Point, I guess. Um, <laughs> but he needed him to respond. He couldn't live like this. Uh, and then he starts hitting himself in the head with a rock. He falls down a hill. He gets up and, you know, still doesn't hear anything. Tells God, if you don't if you don't respond <laughs> this time, um, I'm just going to throw myself off a bridge because I can't I can't do this. And then he says he started speaking in tongues, uh, which is a story. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing. I perhaps to, to be clear. Well, perhaps I mean we do have some people who listen to this who really didn't grow up Christian. What are what is speaking in tongues, Joel? Uh, well, it does, I mean it depends. Speaking in tongues was not really part of the tradition that we grew up with. Um, a little more me it, than you. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it wasn't the church that our parents raised. Right. In. Yes, it, it wasn't, wasn't really that. part of it. But I, I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but the the biblically what it is, although I'm going to get in trouble for saying that it's biblically <laughs> something different than what some people say it is. Biblically, what it is, is there's a story after Jesus had died and resurrected and gone back up to heaven that the church is all gathered together in Jerusalem praying and the Holy Spirit comes to them and they all gain the ability to speak in different languages that they hadn't known before. And they go out into the streets of Jerusalem, which is in the middle of this big festival where people from all over the world have gathered and they start preaching to people from all over the world in all these different languages that they hadn't spoken before. It's known as so biblically, that's what it is. Yeah, right. Pentecost. That's what Pentecost was. It's the, the initial giving of the Holy Spirit to the Christian church. 
which is right. Very and important. from there, uh, what you believe about it. <laughs> right. In modern context, what it usually is, is a specific a specific branch of evangelicalism, specifically, usually American evangelicalism, I think, that started. I in, think it's pretty. I mean, like the, it may have started in America, but I think I think speaking in tongues and stuff. Well, now it's now it's we have spread it worldwide, yeah. well, but I think it colonialism. Had its roots in American Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think it I think it really kind of got started in like the mid 1900s. Uh, the, there's it, basically the idea is that it's supposed to be like a private prayer language. So it's it's the language of the angels, some people say, or, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the same right, episode. That's right, didn't we? There was that scene with her. Although I feel like that I just listened to that episode and I feel like that might not have made it in at any rate. It's, it's to a casual outside observer. It just sounds like gibberish. Right. Uh, because, it it, because that's <laughs> what it is. Uh, but, the, you know, if you believe in this, then it is a sign that like with the early Christian church, that the Holy Spirit has has come to you and is giving you this ability to speak this language that you don't actually know. So among people who believe in that form of it, it is usually a thing that has to occur in order for you to be considered truly a Christian, because that is the Holy Spirit coming into you. That varies. I, I it, it does vary. There are people who believe that it's there. There are people who believe that it's a specific spiritual gift that only some yes. people have. Uh, which that was more aligned to what our upbringing or my upbringing was, I guess. Although, eh, mom and dad were pretty sketchy about the idea. Well, that's what I was going to say. There's also there's also a significant portion of that group who believe that it was it was a spiritual gift that that only existed during a specific time because it was necessary to help spread the gospel faster for a while and that it has kind of gone away. Cessationist. Uh, right. So that that's a pretty common belief. And so I think that's probably kind of where mom and dad fall. Yeah. Uh, the, the weird thing about evangelicalism, as I think with many religions, is not just that there's a lot of offshoots, because of course there are, um, but that there's a lot of like permeability and like, like, you know, like, what our parents believed may have been at its core similar and or the same to what the people we grew up with believed. But like, there's a lot of things that they consider to be negligible and like up to your mm-hmm. own conscience sort of thing. So like, you know, we grew up with families. I don't know if we grew up with anyone. I was going to say, I don't know if we grew up with anyone who was actually quiverful um, in terms of like not believing in birth control. This family at our church did have a lot of children, but I, I don't know about those details. But I think, I think that um, like when it came to speaking in tongues, like that is the sort of thing that mom and dad were clearly extremely uncomfortable with. They, they are not right. at all Pentecostal. Pri- right. Prime example of how, at least in my opinion, their theology was ultimately led by what they were comfortable with, oh, not the yeah. other way around. <laughs> Uh, they would tell you differently, obviously, but... Uh, I mean, somewhat. Dad would sort of admit to it a little. Yeah. Like, he... Well, but, but he would say that he was uncomfortable with it because of his theology, not... I mean, no one... Told, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I may have told this story before, but I, I think about it with Dad all the time. The story about when we were talking... Okay, at one point... To be clear, I was obviously raised in the same church that Joel was, but when I was in my eighth grade year, I started going to a youth group at a different church, uh, and the different church was a four-square church, and they are much more Pentecostally, certainly, than what we grew up with. And while the week-to-week youth group stuff wasn't super, I mean, there wasn't a lot of, like, speaking in tongues or anything at youth group, I would go to camp once a year. 
and camp was a lot more intense and there was a lot more people speaking in tongues. So, uh, so I definitely am going out in the spirit, uh, which basically just means falling over and sometimes twitching on the floor, but you're not having a seizure. You're just overwhelmed by Jesus. So, (laughs) so I, okay. I personally never spoke tongues and I, never um, went out in the spirit or anything like that. But a thing that shifted for me when I started going to his place is that I I, st- I, I started getting much more physical about worship. Mm-hmm. I, I was much more, I, I, you know, raised my hands, I, especially at youth group, there was a lot of like dancing and that sort of thing. And mom and dad, dad was so uncomfortable with this. He, I, like, he, he never told me I shouldn't do it, but he just was like, and at one point I remember I was, I played him a Carmen song. <laughs> R.I.P. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I played him a Carmen song. It's called Seven Ways to Praise. And I highly recommend looking up the uh, music video for it, unless you're Jason listening to this, in ca- which case don't. I get to show you your first Carmen video. But the song goes through what is supposedly the seven Old Testament Hebrew words for praise. I have no idea how accurate this is, but I'm going to guess not. Yeah, I mean, all that, uh, all that stuff. Is, at this point, I'm pretty sure all that stuff is bullshit. The right. modern sermons that are centered around, like, the various Hebrew words for things. None of those guys spoke Hebrew. It's all bullshit. <laughs> so he and and so there's, you know, there's one that's like dancing and shouting and all these things. I was, I, was, I must have been like 14 or 15. I was saying this for dad. And dad listened to, you know, he, he sat there with his, like, determined and quizzical look on his face and at the end he he basically this happened with a few things with dad where he would be like okay i don't necessarily think this is wrong or like sinful but like i'm really uncomfortable with it and i believe (laughs) that was the day that he told me so there is a story about david in the old testament where david is overcome with God and tears off his clothes and comes like dancing into the city celebrating their military victory, I believe. And <laughs> or they, it was when they brought the Ark back. Right? Well, yeah, it was a military victory. Yeah. yeah they, but yeah. to be clear, they was they brought their enemies, really... their enemies had captured the Ark of the Covenant and they went and got it back. Yeah. Right. So they, they brought it back and he is so overcome by the presence of the Lord that he tears his clothes and goes dancing through the street. And my father <laughs> referenced this story. And told me that, you know, like, like, basically, I actually thought of this when she was saying the idea that God can just come into your life and like take over your life is really scary, Mm -hmm. which is true. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's basically what he was saying that, like, I guess God is going to do what he's going to do, but I really don't want him to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was really just profoundly uncomfortable. And the idea, and then, you know, the idea of being taken over by another entity and forced to dance naked through the streets does sound uncomfortable when you put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that at least at times, Dad would say things that made it clear to me, like how uncomfortable he was with certain things, and and that he was at least somewhat aware of how much that shaped his viewpoint on things, while consistently like trying to be open minded or whatever i think i think that was harder for mom yeah anyway we were not i was around people speaking in tongues a lot i wasn't really clear honestly how i felt about it it didn't feel that important to me i think what i mostly ended up at was just like well you know it doesn't seem to be hurting anyone (laughs) 
yeah. it, it may not be. And I was not going to a church, to be clear, where it was expected that that was like a sign of you being a Christian. So I didn't have like that. Right. That pressure. I was prayed over to receive the gift of tongues a few times. Didn't work. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> at any rate, to bring this back around. Yes. I'm pretty sure it doesn't say this specifically, but I'm pretty sure that this group that Mark is part of is of the speaking in tongues is the ultimate sign that God has come into your life. It variety. definitely seems important in, in some right. way. So he, he starts speaking gibberish and <laughs> it's overwhelmed by the Lord. Uh, and that is how, you know, and I get it. I mean, like Joel was saying, like that, I'm sure he was in such a, such a vulnerable such a vulnerable situation and like so on edge and he felt mm -hmm. like God answered him. Right. Yeah. No, it's a thing that we used to hear all the time in youth group and stuff is that it's really important to have like your own story of your relationship with God because mm -hmm. people can like, they can argue against the, the, the Bible and they can argue against the, the intellectual arguments for it and all that, but they can't argue with your personal story. I'm sure you heard that a lot. I definitely yes. heard that a lot. <laughs> And it's true to some degree, because I don't, I mean, I, you know, we can sit here and say, well, he had just been beating himself over the head with a rock or whatever. Fallen down a hill. And, <laughs> right, exactly. We can sit here and say that and write off his story on the on those grounds, but well, that's and, not going to change his mind. No, and, but I want to be clear. I'm not, I'm not trying to write off his story. I, I do want to no. be clear about that. I, I think, I mean, I am, I am glad that happened. If the next step was for him to throw himself off right. a bridge. Like, <laughs> if he was I, genuinely at that low of a point. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I'm glad that happened. I'm glad he felt that way. I have experiences in my life where when I was younger, I felt I believed that God was speaking to me. Mm. Um, and I, I felt connected. Like, I felt that God was directly communicating with me. Now, from where I'm at now, I have other theories about what was going on. But like that's what happens, right? I mean, much like you were, much like you were saying with his thoughts about his uh, infidelity with his girlfriend and stuff. Like we Not put infidelity—that's the wrong word. No, his yeah, right. His uh, <laughs> having sex with his girlfriend, premarital sex. Yeah, with his girlfriend. He was not married. She was no. at least not that we, not that we mentioned. Yeah, you're right. Uh, that we put we put our current lens on our past experience. That's just what mm -hmm. we do. Uh, and I'm not, you know, I do think it's important to not just completely discount like major experiences that happen because they did mean something and who knows, maybe in 20 years I'll have a totally different perspective on what happened to me when I was 16 or whatever. So yeah, I mean, I, I am genuinely, I am, I am so glad that that happened and that he didn't die. Yeah. I mean, obviously that is preferable. There, there are probably other, you know, theoretical endings to that story that would have been more preferable. Sure, <laughs> but, sure, uh, sure. It's better than him jumping off a bridge, yeah. 100%. And so, anyway, so he felt that God spoke to him, or not just spoke to him, but, like, inhabited him. And right. he came back to the farm, and that was when he... Yeah, he dropped out of school and moved back up to Alaska. Yeah, which is, I mean, quite a, quite a move. But again, it sounds like he had yeah. already been sort of... You know, he, he had hopped around before, so, like, mm -hmm. that would be unfathomable for me, who is not a hopping around sort of person. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but obviously that's not true for everyone. <laughs> uh, so, then he, so then he ended up at the farm, and she tries to talk, she talks a little bit to a few other people there, the main elder... This woman that he was very close to, she talks to, as Joel said, there was a, there was a teenager there who had, who had grown up on the farm and who tells her the story of becoming a Christian when he was five, of mm -hmm. asking if he wanted to become a Christian. 
And she says something like, okay, but like, did you feel, did you ever feel like, like if I don't become a Christian, that's okay? Uh, and he was like, no, I don't ever remember feeling. <laughs> yeah. That never felt like an option. <laughs> yeah. He said something else too, and I'm trying to remember what it was. He said something else that struck me. I think he said something about how like, you know, he did. He wasn't really aware of anything feeling different afterwards or anything. Yes, that's right. After the conversion, but you know, he was fucking five years old. Like what? <laughs> anyway, that's the 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 oddities and oddities is a mild word for the the child conversion thing. Is uh, we talked about that. We talked about that a little bit on the saved episode as well. Right. Uh, you had a child conversion. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. And it's I mean, I'm sure I did movie. too. I don't specifically remember mine, but it sounds like uh, you maybe remember yours. I do, yeah. It was very similar to the story that this kid told, in fact, except it was dad instead of mom. But, uh, <laughs> and I also don't remember waking up feeling different the next morning. <laughs> but, How great is Jesus? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but there was another thing in that, that there was kind of a, a little montage of scenes of her talking to other people at the farm. And there was one guy in particular that th- there was just, there was, I've got like a handful of moments in my head from conversations that really stood out to me. And there was one talking to one of these other guys. And also her, her brother was there too. It was like a group conversation, but she was mostly talking to this guy. Mm-hmm. And she, she was saying something about how like, she just wished that, you know, that, that he could be okay with the way that she was living her life. And she was trying really hard to figure out how to be okay with the way he was living his life or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this guy jumped in with, well, if he really loves you, then he can't be okay with it. Yeah. Which is another thing that that it's it's heard all yeah the all the time heard that all the time constantly growing up that was like a centerpiece of what we were taught about how to relate to people. I mean, honestly, it's 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 a, it's one of the smartest things they do. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, I look at it and I'm just like, you know, well, I it's it's the answer to that answer. that thing you were talking about earlier about how how you can clearly see how much the brother want like how much Mark wants to be able to tell her the things that. She wants to hear how much he does love her. And, and, and actually, you're right. Yes. Yeah. But he doesn't feel like he can because that's not that's not what love is in the right. version that, that he's being taught. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, I, may have, I may have told this story before. This is just how I roll. But which is that, you know, I have a really distinct memory. So so one of my best friends in the entire world for like 15 years now is Allison. Hi, Allison. And like and. Al has been a an atheist since they were like six or something, <laughs> like since very young, <laughs> and um and I always knew that, and I was never much for proselytizing. Like I knew I was supposed to, and I like felt kind of bad about it, but I never really did it much. Um, yeah, more when I was in high school, but definitely by the time I was in my 20s, not so much. And I have a really distinctive memory of being in like my late 20s. It would have been it, or mid 20s. It would have been around the time we were doing this group. Uh, and when I realized that I didn't want Allison to become a Christian. <laughs> and I, I realized that I that I loved them so much, like exactly the way they were. And I didn't feel like they needed to be better or like change in some way to like be happy or like, (laughs) like like I did. And like, I did not know what to do with that realization because that was definitely a couple years before I left Christianity. (laughs) 
and that was not what I because like as a kid who you know was fucked up in a lot of ways but for fuck's sake most of us genuinely love people in our lives and if you are told that like your feelings of love for them and the the genuine love and acceptance that those feelings may create are wrong and in fact mean that you don't love them right <laughs> like that is a fucking trip especially for a kid it is no it is i think about this all the time because if you if you genuinely believe the evangelical christian version of hell and if you if you genuinely believe the things that they believe about who will be going there mm-hmm. then <laughs> it's tough to argue with that then like it is it is hard to overstate the impact that a belief in a in a truly cruel god <laughs> and like and this is a thing that i go back to all the time because you know for a lot of our parents i think uh, you know they created the subculture that we grew up in uh mm-hmm. and I, we talked about this a little in, in the saved episode but yeah a lot of crossover happening <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> <laughs> but the impact that it has on you as a child to be raised believing that hell is real it is a place of like I don't remember when I was first taught about hell being a place of extreme torture and where people would be tortured forever I, that was just always there that was just mm-hmm. like always a thing that I knew and like yes there's a personal impact to that as obviously you feel a bit of a gun to your head to make sure mm-hmm. that you don't go to that place but the impact that that has on your relationships with other people right because obviously you don't want them to go there Mm -hmm. like and i think about this a lot with how it impacts like evangelical parenting like you you can't you can't just love your kid or be happy for your kid because what fucking difference does it make Right. What difference does it make if they're happy for 20 or 40 or 100 years? Right. If they die and are eternally tortured forever and you never get to see them again. No, it's it is a uh, it is a brilliant bit of theological manipulation this belief. Mhm. That is <laughs> I mean like I said it's it's just it's impossible to argue with. I mean it, it and it and it allows you to set up this scenario where as long as you can somehow come up with a way that your behavior might possibly somehow point people towards Christ and the church, then you can treat – it doesn't matter how you treat people. You can do anything to people as long as you can somehow justify it as, you know, uh, you can you can do anything or not do anything. Yeah. As long as you can, you can convince yourself that doing something or failing to do something will somehow e- – even if it's like – this per- it's it's like the this person has to hit rock bottom thing mm-hmm. of like I could help this person, but if I do that, then they're never going to get to the low point that they need to get to to find Jesus. Yeah. So actually, the loving thing to do is to leave them in their pain and not do anything to help them. I truly don't know how to like this is the thing that I've gone back to so many times is the redefinition of words and like mm-hmm. the power that that has because you know. As a kid and a young adult who was who was growing up, who who genuinely loved people, I think, as best I could, and who would on some level was like, okay, but like, how could God do this? Like how how God loves us. You you tell me that God loves us more than anyone else, but he's willing to like I I would never 
I, I would never be willing, like I don't think I could torture Hitler over mm-hmm. <laughs> plans from her, much less someone I love. And what I was told, and what I suspect you were told too repeatedly, is that that's because you have a human definition of love. It is not right. possible. It is not impossible for God to be unloving because mm-hmm. God is the definition of love. And right. so if God does this, then this is what love is. And so if right. you do not also feel that way, then you do not love them. The, what right. the this fuck? Is the, it's the, it's the, the theological eternal version of fucking Richard Nixon's if the president does it, that makes it legal. <laughs> it is. It is. It really is. And I do think that that context, especially for people who didn't grow up this way, like I think there are two types of people who end up, and this is obviously a broad generalization, but in many ways, I think there are roughly two types of people who end up in this scenario. And I think there is one type of person who, like me, I think like you, I think like a lot of people we knew growing up, genuinely believe the love part. And we really, we want to do that. We want to love people. We want to care for people. And we may be kind of fucked up about how we do it. But like, we are functionally being like redirected by a theology that we cannot escape <laughs> mm-hmm. that is that is making our genuine desire to love people unloving. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that happens. And that happens with parents and kids. And that happens with all sorts of relationships that evangelicalism fucks with. And then you also have people who come into evangelicalism because it reinforces impulses or desires. To believe. Like, they... They like to be able to say that the shitty thing they're doing is loving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I, I think about that a lot with parents and kids. And I see, you know, and what happens, I think, a lot of times with parents and kids is that as they grow up and as the kids start coming out of trauma and like figuring stuff out, you really see it with what choice the parents make. Like, do the parents decide that their child is less important than their dogma? Mm-hmm. Or do they decide that their child is the most important thing and that they believe in a God who is loving? You know, if they if they stick with that, do they believe in a God who is loving and who is going to, you know, love them and, and support them and supporting their child? Our parents did not make the latter decision. But, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I look at parents to some extent where I'm just like, look, like, I don't think you would have been great parents without this. But this mm-hmm. helped give you a framework that made you feel justified in what you were doing. Yeah. And I just, it's its so hard to watch these two. We've been talking for an hour, so we probably should. Um... Oh, God, I've got a bunch more. I, mean, I, I know, I know. <laughs> I, know okay. I know we've already been going for a while, but yeah, I guess we should move it along. So. Um, one thing that I, I really want to talk about, one. Yeah. one thing that I really want to talk about that I think, uh, that I think I suspect stood out for you too, the conversation that they have about heaven. Yep, yep, that was one of that's definitely one of the main ones that I wanted to get to. Yeah. It's, one, that... of, it's one of the hardest things mm-hmm. to watch. It's one of the places where I feel like she is coming closest to like not being able to maintain. Right. And he is also very frustrated, clearly, because he's but frustrated in like an embarrassed way. Because yes. like he knows how silly he sounds. Yes. And he's he is genuinely embarrassed to be taking the position that he's taking. But it's like it's he's like made up his mind in his head like this is the the thing I'm supposed to be saying and I'm gonna stick to it. Yes. And it's so awkward. And it's so difficult to watch. So, the, so what's happening in the I, I don't I don't think we really see the lead up to it. But she asks him what he believes about heaven. 
Basically. Well, interestingly, she starts out by asking him, trying to get more of a sense of his life. Like, do you, you know, do, right. how often do you read your Bible? When do you read your right. Bible? What does that look like for you? And he's like, you know, I try to read it before I go to bed. And I just like end up passing Mostly, out. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and she's like, well, Which, do you. That sounds very familiar from yeah. my experiences. Yeah. And she asks him a question that's something like, do you try to, I don't remember how she phrases it, but she says something like, do you try to like, you know, to like intellectually engage essentially mm-hmm. with the material. And he says, no, mm. <laughs> no, that's really not the goal here. And you can tell she's just so fucking confused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right, like, what are you getting out of this? If it's not anyway. And so around then she asks him, right. They come to, she wants to know what he believes about heaven. Mm-hmm. And he immediately goes to like, Turns well, to the biggest Bible in the entire fucking right. world, <laughs> and, and goes to like he falls into this like, well, let me let me let me look up some some passages for you here that will kind of explain what I believe about heaven, and she's like, no, I want to hear, we don't need to do that, I want to hear what you believe, like, you know, and and he keeps falling back to this, well, you know, what I believe is based on what's in here, so there's no point in like having it come from me, we might as well have it come from the source, and she's keeps on this like you know there must be some variation in belief and like you know the bible doesn't go into super details so like you must have your own beliefs about this and he says and i he do just, he says right. i do or your own opinion irrelevant. he thinks they're irrelevant and that there's no point in getting into that because the the truth is what's in the bible so what he believes that is similar to the bible it's better to just get it from there and anything that he believes that's not then it's better off not saying it at all yeah and she's getting <laughs> She's literally like reaching out and trying to like block the Bible with her hands, and she's like, like jokingly, right? But, exactly. That's what I was gonna say. Is that she's like joking and he's like kind of joking, but you can see, you can see a really like genuine sibling relationship in that really in that specifically. I think of like and where you can tell that they are both trying so hard. Like this is important to both of them, and. It is so frustrating that they can't have this conversation. Right. Like that they <laughs> because she wants so badly to understand him and he wants to be able to say it in a way that feels good and feels right and maybe convinces her of something. At one point in the earlier conversation he says, like, my ideal would be if you found Jesus and you you came here and we got to be together. Like he loves right. her so much. Mm-hmm. But they just hit this wall and it's just so visible in that scene. Right. And that scene ends with her finally being like, okay, what does the Bible say? And then we get one of those shots that I was talking about earlier, where you get the the benefit of having a really good cinematographer who knows where to point Mm -hmm. the camera when you get this shot of her, just you see her giving up. Like, okay, fine. And it's, it's so painful. It's so painful. And it's so painful because I've never been her, but I've been him. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, to some yeah. that, and I, I understand. And from this perspective, like, I mean, I would never be able to be as, as calm as she is most yeah. of the time because of my own background. But like, I, I get it. Like, I'm like, look, I know what you're trying to ask. I don't know what to tell you. There's not an answer. There, There is not an answer mm-hmm. in this framework for what you're trying to ask. And no matter how many questions you ask and no matter how genuine you are and no matter how, you're not going to find an answer. And that's not to say it doesn't matter, because I think it matters a lot. I actually think, I, while I cannot say this with any degree of certainty, I did wonder if the fact that he eventually left was partly because she made such an effort and because because 
he wasn't surrounded by only people who were talking to him. Them not talking to him contributed to that sense of isolation and stuff that for mm-hmm. the family to reach out and be like, nope, we're going to we're going to figure this out. We love you. We want you. But yeah, eventually, maybe that was a part of what brought him back to the rest of the world. <laughs> well, there's another key moment that relates to that that I wanted to talk about Yeah, where she is saying I can't remember what the broader context was here, but she is saying you can kind of see herself. She's kind of trying to convince herself that like what he's doing is working for him. Right. Because she wants to be able to come to a point where she's at peace with him being where he is mm-hmm. and that she something and to believe that it's something that she can support and feel good about supporting. Yeah. And she says something like, you know, you've found this place and you're clearly happy here. And he jumps in and says, well, I wouldn't say that. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know that that's true. I just I feel that this is where God wants me. I believe I have to be here. Right. <laughs> so he yeah. Th- th- and that was really key to me. Like he's he he is still he's he's able to admit to himself and to other people that like, I don't know that I'm happy here, but this is where God wants me. So I'm going to stay. How could, how could he must be so fucking bored? Seriously. <laughs> I mean, you know, apparently, you know, he really likes the outdoors and all that. And obviously there's endless amounts of that out there. Sure. Although he is on an island, so I don't know. There are but bears at any rate, We saw a bear once. That was exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, it really does look like an incredible place. And if your, if your thing is the outdoors, I'm sure that would, you would get a lot of mileage out of that. But he's been there for 10 years. For 10 years. He's never, he talks at one point about like thinking about being in a relationship or something. He has an amusing quote that's like, it's easier to get a truck than a wife. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he was talking about how sometimes he thinks about, like, you know, it'd be nice to maybe just have a normal life and, you know, get a truck and a job and, and you know, maybe a wife, but getting a truck would probably be easier. <laughs> yeah. But no, he I, and that is part of what is so painful to watch is that, like, no, he's clearly not happy there. And again, I remember that experience. And I'm sure there are moments of happiness there for him and people that he loves. Right. But like that feeling of like, no, I'm not. But this is where I have to be. Right. And there's another little bit in that conversation where he was talking about how he would kind of like to be married that I thought was was interesting, where he he's he says, like, you know, that he's basically doing the like, I would like to be married, but God has a plan and I'm going to let that play out. Right. And he says something about how some people, even Christians, will say things like, well, you know, you got to go out and you got to meet people. How are you going to find a wife if you don't go out and meet people? And he's like writing that off as, well, no, because God will bring someone to me. Right. So that's his like, even though he's on, he's in this place where he's not really happy and, you know, he is probably maybe getting bored there, but he believes that's where he's supposed to be and that the things he's supposed to have are coming there. So he needs to be there to meet them when they get there. Right. right. And it's it, that was that was really, really key to me, I think. I, th- I think the other major conversation that just broke my entire heart and I was definitely start crying is when she is she's leaving the island. They're on the ferry <laughs> together. They're standing there looking very cold. <laughs> and she says, I want you to promise me something. And he's like, you can see he's nervous. <laughs> she, he's like, what? She's like, I want you to swear to me that you will never pray that I'm straight or that I become straight. And again, he is he is struggling so hard. Like he, you know, this is this, you know, his sister who he loves, who he is so happy to have seen, who he is definitely sad is leaving, is like asking him for this very clear thing. And he like tries to find ways around it. Like, you know, well, mostly I just I just pray that God's will will be done in your life. I pray that like 
I believe it's unlikely that he would pray that she would become straight. But like, the, right. I, yeah, no, I agree with you. But then he, I, I suspect he's being very honest about the, that what he would pray is that, you know, the, that yeah. she would have in her life the things that God wants for her. But then, but it's, it's that thing you push down a layer and he can't deny that what he believes God would want for her. Right. She says, what if God is, wants me to be with a woman? Right. Yeah. He, he doesn't says, think that's, no, I don't. doesn't think that's a possibility. That's not possible. Yeah. And so again, it's that it, it is so painful. It's so painful to like, mm-hmm. you know, that again, she is, she is being genuinely impressively and earnestly raw and vulnerable with him. And like, he wants to respond to that mm-hmm. and he can't, which is just, yeah. ugh. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking and it's so hard to watch and remember what it felt like to be there mm-hmm. and to feel those things. And, oh, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's it's something. At some point after this, he comes to New York, though, to see them. Right. That was kind of how it ended. Well, not the very end, but he, he does come back to visit and their mother is there and we see more of the the awesome aunt who is like all that stuff you believe is crap (laughs) well better than that she says yeah i think it's all crap or whatever but um and his mom kind of steps in and again is trying to be supportive or whatever and is like you know i think he's happy and she aunt judy looks straight at him and says you're not happy yeah he's like you're accepting and you've decided to let go of this but you're not happy don't give me that and I, I was like, normally I am opposed to denying someone. But one, he has kind of admitted that he's not happy. Uh, and two, like, she's not wrong. But they, you know, they yeah, have. She was, a, she was a wise lady. She knew what she was seeing. She was. She was. She wasn't too old to take any crap. Yeah. Um, now, the movie ends with them on a phone call together. Right. Um, and her talking to him and trying I, to tell yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very sweet moment. Uh, it was very sweet. A little bit of, I thought a little bit odd as far as tonally, a very light moment to end on. But, you know, this is this is one of those things like this. This is about the most personal filmmaking project I think I've ever seen. And so yes. I can't I cannot take issue with how she decided she wanted to end it. But it did seem a little odd to me. I actually I was into it because I think. Well, and again, especially knowing that he did eventually leave. Mm-hmm. That I yeah, think, I was not aware of that until you told me. So that I think that like she she's right, and that she mentions it specifically. You know this this feeling that like thank goodness they are in connection again, that a door has been opened, that they can try to mm-hmm. like have this. You know, feels like she did the right thing, which I think is huge. And and in that final phone call, they have a thing where she's just like, you know, I'm so glad that we're able to talk about this. I'm so glad that we're able to have these conversations. And he, you know, is like, I'm also. So glad right. that we're able to. And he is also like he is also like edging his way out. He mentions in the phone call that he had he he had almost left that he had had a job lined up for himself down in Washington, mm-hmm. and then kind of at the last minute he decided, no, I think God still wants me here. But he but he's was clearly there. like looking he's he's looking for a way out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, a huge part of what this movie fo- focuses on for me, whether the, I don't know this was her intention, but what I see when I look at the movie is just how absolutely devastating evangelicalism can be to families and relationships in general. Just, oh, it's, and also like how much it means to have, you know, I mean, I left where I was because people loved me in spite of all of those things. And because the people who were kinder to me and the people who listened to me and heard me were not the people in the church. Like, and it, 
it matters to have people willing to to take those steps, even when you're being extremely frustrating. And I think that not everyone is up for that. I'm not always up for that. But, you know, that that having those real connections with the world, with someone saying something different, being able to have conversations that are not like the only conversations that you are supposed to have, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that it matters a lot. So, yeah, I don't know. Was there other parts that we missed that you wanted to touch on before we? I, I think we got them all. Okay. Yeah. It's it's honestly it's a fascinating like honestly even if you listen to this whole podcast, this isn't like a spoilery type of <laughs> yeah type of situation like it is it is seventy five minutes that is worth watching uh, for sure and I I think gives you is even if you didn't grow up the way we did I'd be curious to hear how it lands for you but I think it gives a real insight because again like yeah we didn't grow up in a separatist commune but I know every word of everything those people said. Mm-hmm. Also, at one point, in the, they were filming like the church services and they were singing Shout to the Lord. And I feel mm-hmm. full fucking body response. So it's like, I don't remember the yeah. last time I heard this song, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not loving it. <laughs> OK. Oh, all right. Well, what shall we be watching next? OK, so we've. Uh... We've edited our, our list down to the 78 movies remaining. So we're doing an one through 78 random number generator, right? 78? Yes. I, I did consider we could talk about this in the future, but I did consider taking out like the Christmas ones or whatever, since we were probably going to do those for Christmas. Yeah. Um, so I, well, I can't we'll, we'll roll it for now. We'll if one of those out. comes up, we'll, we'll go again. But all right. Uh, I got 44. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Oh, hey, all right. I'm 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 totally up for watching that one again. I haven't seen that in years, and that'll this be... This feels like a weird time to oh, watch man, it. Yeah, it's gonna be, uh... <laughs> yeah, man, the the concept of a filibuster sure has a different <laughs> different uh, different meaning behind it now than it did then, but I'm excited to watch that one again. That should all be right. good. All right, I'm down. Do you want to start or should I with what we've been watching? Uh, I'll go ahead and start. Uh, let me see. It's been an extra week this time. So, yeah. Uh, where's the there it is, the prestige. So since then. OK, uh, so one thing that's been happening a fair amount lately is that May and I have been watching movies that she really loved as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a few of those in there, several of in here, rather. Several of them are things that I had never seen or hadn't seen, seen since I was a little kid. Uh, we watched The Princess Diaries. Yeah. Which I had not seen, you know, since I was quite young. Okay. A lot of funny people in that movie, though. I would say it it was more entertaining than I expected it to be. Yeah. We watched Little Miss Sunshine, which I hadn't seen in years. Mm. I don't know if you've watched that movie recently. Not recently, Uh, but I recall the last time I watched it, I didn't feel like it held up. (laughs) I think it's on our list, isn't it? It probably is, and we'll probably get to it. it, I no, would say I not. still really liked it. I still really liked it, but it doesn't hold up quite as like I don't love it as much as I used to. Uh, I think the 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 comedy value of family members yelling at each other has decreased <laughs> for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, over the in the intervening years, but there's some really interesting. I, I think there's some really interesting angles on like the the in, the intergenerational effect of family trauma and. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think there's there's good stuff in there. And, man, there's some great performances in that. Greg Kinnear. <laughs> I, I had forgotten how much of a piece of shit Greg Kinnear's character was. And he really commits to that. And it's to a degree that it's genuinely impressive. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, that was one. Um, 
I rewatched A Most Wanted Man because movie had that one up and I had seen it in the theater, but I hadn't seen it since. Yeah. Have you seen that one? I have, but not yeah. since it came out. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the final leading role of the, the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman, directed by Anton Corbin, who I also find really interesting as a director. Great movie. It's uh, a John Le adaptation, which are almost always good somehow. I don't <laughs> He has like the best luck in terms of adaptation of his work of any author. But it is uh, it's a very bleak, you know, he writes spy thrillers, but they're they're like they're spy thriller. Well, they're more like spy dramas about how everyone in the world is equally bad, basically. <laughs> but they're really good. They're, they're some of my favorites. And it's a great movie. I watched a really interesting short documentary that movie had called Meeting the Man, James Baldwin in Paris. OK, uh, that was it was this group of British like student filmmakers, I think who were really into James Baldwin's work and he was living in Paris at the time and they convinced him to do an interview to talk about his work, but they get over there to interview him and he's like super hostile because they're all white kids who think they understand the, the, uh, the world that he comes from and he doesn't want to talk about his work. He wants to talk about other things <laughs> and it's like very like openly hostile to them in a way that they find very frustrating. And they're trying to be like, well, yeah, we do understand your work. That's why we're here. <laughs> He's tried. It, it was really, it was, it was very interesting piece of documentary. Um, and he's great. I mean, James Baldwin is, is one of my favorite people and he's just listening to him talk about anything is, is fascinating. He's, he was such a smart guy who had like a level of moral and intellectual clarity that I feel like I've almost never seen anywhere else. So yeah, that's if you, I don't know where you can even find that. Other, like I said, I saw it on movie and it's gone now. But if you if you ever come across it, I think it was only like 35 minutes long. Okay. Uh, oh, another thing from from May's childhood, we watched Holes. Oh, yeah. I hadn't I had seen that one once when I was much younger as well, but pretty, pretty decent. I saw it for the first time a couple of years ago. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that it would have landed with you. So you're <laughs> thing for troubled, troubled teenager movies. Uh, um, but one thing that I found kind of surprising, honestly, was that I didn't recognize more of the kids in it. Mm. because they were all really good. Like they were all, mm -hmm. all of them were genuinely good, which is really unusual. And I was kind of surprised that more of them other than Shia, I didn't recognize any of them. And I was kind of surprised. Mm. Uh, oh, the other night we watched frozen, which I had never seen before. It was the first time I'd ever seen it. It's I had terrible. somehow missed it. And now I don't think it's terrible, but it's, uh, it's definitely not like top tier Disney, but you should still watch the second one. Cause the second one's amazing. Yeah, no, I think we'll watch it. Okay, but, I was gonna uh, say because I fucking hated the first one on a second watch still, but uh, I loved the second one. So. I didn't hate the first one, but it had a lot of problems. Uh, and I, one weird thing is that in spite of the fact that that movie's been out for almost ten years now and has been like sort of culturally ubiquitous the whole time somehow. Yeah. I had no idea what that movie was about. I didn't know anything about the plot of that movie. And I didn't even realize it until we started watching it. And I, I kind of went into it like, okay, I know where this is going. And then I was like, wait a minute, what's happening? I have no idea what's happening right now. <laughs> uh, I was quite surprised to learn that Let It Go, which, of course, I've heard a million times, even though I've never seen the movie, is not, in fact, the the triumphant climactic moment of the movie. It is the tragic end of the first act. <laughs> No, it's, it's more like uh, it's more like the the wicked uh, gravity song. And I mean, I haven't seen Wicked either, so I don't. But at any rate, that was that was quite a surprise to me. I was like, wait a minute, how is it this song already? <laughs> I, I, like we're only half an hour in here. Oh, that's so funny. Already? I saw Frozen in theaters, so there was never oh, okay. a point I didn't know the the basic. 
I saw Frozen in theaters before it became a big deal. Like I saw it like opening weekend. I think I had a film yeah. pass at the time. Um, I went by myself and I came out of it just being like, oh my God, I hated that. And then just like slowly watched as it became like the most inescapable thing on the planet and was like, what fucking happened? I still don't, I don't quite understand why that is like one of the like kids love this movie, watch it over and over and over again movies. Cause it doesn't really, it's, I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's, I don't know. It did. I mean, it looked beautiful. I'm sure it would have looked yeah, way better on the big screen. The animation's incredible. Although I'm not into the character design, the 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 huge eye face thing went way overboard on this one and was very distracting to me. But how did you feel about Olaf? <sighs> he had a couple parts that were mildly funny, but. See, I hate every second of Olaf in the first yeah. movie. I like actively wanted him to die all of the time. And yeah, then I mean, in that's the second movie, I love him. I understand? I, or I, be, I came to love him. So <laughs> that was a real shock for me. <laughs> uh, I also watched again on movie. They had. Have you heard of the movie Dead Pigs? This sounds familiar, but I do not have anything to tie it. So Dead Pigs is the directorial debut of Kathy Yan, who directed Birds of Prey last year. And did you like Birds of Prey? I don't remember. I liked Birds of Prey a lot, but did not love it as much as some people seem to. OK, at any rate. When Birds of Prey came out, I remember seeing a bunch of like movie critics that I follow on Twitter and stuff talking about her previous movie, Dead Pigs, that had debuted at Sundance and for some reason had never gotten distribution in the U.S. Okay. But everyone loved it. Like it was a big sensation there. It won awards and stuff. But for some reason, it didn't get distribution here. Um, it is a Chinese movie. But at any rate, Mubi distributed it this okay. year. That's cool. So it just went up and they, they ran it for the their 30 days and i guess it's probably part of their permanent collection since they're the ones who distribute it so you can probably still watch it but it's uh it's like one of those big follows multiple people through like parallel stories that kind of come together at the end kind of thing but it's pretty good it's very i mean it's very well done for a i mean the first time feature is it's kind of incredible that it was the first feature and yeah i liked it it's worth checking out cool i think that's all for movies uh you know i finished uh uh finished wandavision of course yeah. Um, sure did end up with a lot of people shooting lasers, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, my, I, in my opinion, the true sign of a great television show is when three quarters of the characters have absolutely no effect on what happens in it. <laughs> um, you, they, they could have never shown anything outside the bubble and it wouldn't have changed anything about how it went down. Yeah, but then we wouldn't have gotten to watch some of the other characters who I do like. Sure, but uh, I don't know. I, no, I, I, whatever. I thought the end was kind of dumb, but. <laughs> I, this is the first time I've ever seen Catherine Hahn do something that I didn't like. Oh, interesting. Okay. Spoiler alert here, I guess. But I was, I was thrilled at the twist that she was actually the villain. It's like that's fucking awesome. I'm so excited to see her do this. I fucking hated what she was doing. For, <laughs> It was just so grating and annoying to me. And then it turned out to be basically nothing but a plot mechanic so that we could see flashbacks to Wanda's past. She had virtually no impact. I mean, they didn't kill her, so she'll probably come back. But yeah, I guess. But I, they specifically put her on ice. She'll come back for something. Yeah. And yeah, I know. I did find it kind of entertaining that as it turned out, all of the like, ooh, are they doing wolf cyberverse stuff all turned out to be trolling. Yeah. <laughs> really sad. So really sad. they bring in the alternate version of her brother as like oh my god it's gonna be a thing they're gonna cross the streams of the universes or whatever and then at the end it's like no he was just some fucking loser that lived in the neighborhood that the the evil witch 
enchanted or whatever. It's just a, you know, it's just an inside joke asking this guy. I thought that was kind of funny, although I don't think that's what they were going for. Should never give Marvel any credit. Whatever. I I still liked the first like, you know, six seven episodes or whatever. Yeah, overall, I, overall, I still liked it. I still, you know, I still think that Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen were great in it. I was really glad that they got the chance to like dig into those characters that way. That you know that the shot of Catherine Hahn like hovering in the air holding the boys. Yeah, I think I don't know if you yeah. saw this, but there was a tweet going around that made me laugh a lot, um, which was something. It was just that shot, and it said like, "This has so much Disney Channel original movie energy." Yeah, <laughs> seriously, the witch yes, and the yes. yeah. It was very yeah. Halloween Town. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my biggest complaint, and this is definitely a spoiler, so if you haven't finished it yet, whatever. My biggest complaint is that. Is the degree to which they let Wanda off the hook for what she'd done? Oh, see, this is so interesting. This is like the big argument. I actually don't feel like that's the case, or not. Oh, come on! Not only did they let her off the hook, but they had the uh, one of the other characters who was essentially like the the voice of conscience for the show tell her the only reason these people are upset with you is because they don't understand what you sacrificed. Okay, but but she said that wasn't true, and I I I. understand the arguments and people i've read the arguments i understand what people are saying i i think there is some validity there i do for me like what what would you have wanted them to do there's nothing she could do to make up for that i i liked that her response was to in no way attempt to like she knew there was nothing she could do she had done everything she could do and she was just she was going to accept the fact that these people hated her and had a right to do so which I actually have very rarely seen. It'll depend on what they do with this going forward. But again, I do not really have faith that they're going to. But there was no reason to have that scene of her walking out through the town except to have, was it Monica? Yeah. Tell her that she was fine and that, you know, the things that she gave up were greater than the damage she caused and that was the only reason for that scene to exist. Uh, I don't really agree, but it's it's fine. I do think that there is legitimate argument that maybe we shouldn't have the strong black woman as the character of conscience telling the white woman yeah, that she. Yeah. Sure, that's that's another that's another. <laughs> uh, right, you get the you get the the black this woman after uh, the fucking scene of giving the yeah forgiving the white woman, but after the fucking scene of her getting shot by. Yeah, that was not necessary. I don't. Also, I was unclear. Did she have superpowers at the beginning and didn't know it? Or did walking through the barrier somehow give her superpowers? The second one, because Kat Dunning said it like redid her molecular DNA or something. So it's the second uh, okay. one. I mean, it's, uh, it doesn't matter, but it's who cares? the one. But, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. I just, that, that, that whole thing. I was it's like, no wait. dumber of a way to get superpowers than most of the other ways that people get I mean, I guess it just seems it just seems so hand wavy because it was it wasn't even clear to me that it had happened well they made a big thing of her going through yeah and and so then it was like right like she had forced her way through this barrier that this super vehicle couldn't get through but like was that supposed to be like she was just that strong and good of a person i mean sure and being that strong and good of a person created superpowers i don't know but yeah that's that's definitely my read is that it was i thought all that stuff was dumb but (laughs) Uh, apparently, she presumably she's going to be in the next Captain Marvel movie. I would assume. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. It is. It, this is definitely one of those things where, like, 
my disappointment with the ending of it has in my mind has largely overshadowed the fact that I did really like it overall. Mm. So, and you know, I still think it's worth watching. I would still recommend it to people, but, uh, the only other thing, um, May and I started watching the Netflix uh, a series of unfortunate events eee. because we've been reading through the books for the last year or so, and we just finished those. I keep thinking so, about rewatching it, and I haven't. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting watching it right after the books. Uh, the The adults have a lot more to do in the show than they do in the books, which is interesting. There's more adult characters in the show already. After we've only, we're only two episodes in, and there's already more adult characters in the show than there were in the books, but. Uh, they they did a really good job with you know they nailed the tone of it. Patrick Warburton as Lemmy Snake, <laughs> perfect. The decision to have him actually on screen doing the narration and stuff was just perfect. Very, I'm, really, I'm really glad they did that and it adds a lot to the show. Yeah, so. for sure, for sure. Okay, I think that's all I've got. What have you got? All right, so I haven't been watching a ton of movies, um, but I did. Eric and I were in Portland last weekend and we watched a few things. Um, I watched The Mustang, which I hadn't watched before. Wait, which one is that? that? Is that the one with the horses? The horses in the prison, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I saw that. that. That played at the Pickford. Jared and I went to see it. It was pretty good. Beautiful movie. Liked it a lot. Yeah. Liked it a lot. Matthias Schoenertz, right? I like that guy. I think so. And then we watched Dr. Sleep, which we had kept meaning to see, but hadn't gotten around to. Oh, what did you think of Dr. Sleep? Um, I thought the end was pretty dumb, but the rest of the movie was more enjoyable than it had a right to be. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a little bit weird that they they spent so much time building up to, like, we're going to go back to the Overlook and then when they got there, it looks just so drab and boring. I wouldn't have even recognized it as the Overlook if I hadn't known that was what it was supposed to be. <laughs> All the Overlook scenes are pretty dumb. And I think yeah, that a lot but... of that, it's very, like, it's what happens in horror movies, right? Like, they lead up to this thing. Very rarely does a horror movie stick the ending, in my opinion. Um, I guess so. But I do agree with you that overall it was a lot better than I expected it to be. For but sure. I, I have issues with Mike Flanagan, and it, it had a lot of the same problems that I think his stuff usually does. What kind of problems? Um, I think he f- he focuses on the things I'm not interested in. Okay, all right, that's fair. Uh, a lot of the times, and this this had less of that than, other, but like you know, he did his The Haunting of Hill House, which I gave up on after I think five episodes. Yeah. In spite of everyone on the internet talking about how it's the best thing in the world. I like The Haunting of Hill House a fair amount, and then The Haunting of Bly Manor, Manor I thought was better. I do like yeah, Flanagan. He he may be a little more up my alley than yours. I also I, I had watched that Gerald's Game, which is another Stephen King adaptation that he did, and I that one had a lot of things that really didn't work for me either. So I didn't watch that one. Anyway, that's I mean it's two and a half hours. It's a long movie, but like the first two hours are like really quite solid. <laughs> like, there, there's really a lot of really solid. cool stuff in there. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, Rebecca Ferguson is Rose of the Hat. Yes, is oh. fantastic, and that whole like that Glorious. bizarre cult of yes. weird evil vampire creatures was so well done. Really cool stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Was very, very invested and enjoyed. Yeah. yeah no. And I like Ewan McGregor a lot and he was really good. I am so. fine with Ewan McGregor and he was yeah. fine. And then Eric was like, why do I recognize this person? And then we went through his entire IMDb and it turns out the only thing that Eric has ever seen Ewan McGregor in is Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> I know, <here>. right? <laughs> Crazy. Um, and then I watched Logan's Run for the first time. Well, Eric, I've never seen that. Um, it's deeply silly. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it's like yeah. in that vein of like, of, you know, uh, it's like that exact type of, uh, just, it's, I don't know. It's not dystopian exactly. Is it, or is it anyway? It's in that vein of like sci-fi stories from that era where they were like, we're going to have this cult. We're going to do all these things and everyone dresses in wildly colored flowing gowns all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I want yeah. a future with wildly colored flowing gowns. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, it's really silly. Michael York is really giving it his all. Um, <laughs> it, it was fun. It was fun. And then we watched Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh, I haven't seen that yet, and they took that it off like, HBO. I missed it. Oh, no. I assume it's going to go back up eventually, but... That sucks. Yeah. Um, it was very good. It was very good. I recommend it. But the thing that I really wanted... Oh, and uh, last night we watched... Or Friday we watched a couple of things. One of them we watched The Raid Redemption, because it was next on the Film School Rejects list. Not really I have not my, watched that yet. It's not really my thing. It's too, like, dark yeah. and grainy. It's clearly, like, well-made... And like well choreographed yeah. and all of that, but it just for me it's it's the type of action that gets right. uh, that gets I, tedious. <laughs> right. I know people who are into like the martial arts ultra violence thing think that movie is like the second coming. Right. And uh, I mean, I, it's clearly that's not very really well made, my thing but, either. So yeah, I'm, but I I would like to watch it one of these days. But yeah, I found it tedious. But like yeah, um, but the other thing we watched that I need a minute for is we watched B movie. Jesus. <laughs> And I may now think about the 2007 film B-movie for the rest of my life. <laughs> Maybe every day. I don't know. I, I'm i not going to go into too much detail. I'm trying to convince Emily and Jason that we need to do a show on it for Idle Curiosities. Because I really feel like I need an entire show to talk about this movie. <laughs> But if you have heard people heard people talking about B-Movie in the last 13, 14 years and have heard people say things occasionally like, what the fuck is this movie? This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. They're correct <laughs> and probably underselling it. Right. And, and it has become like a meme, right? Like yes. there's at some point the someone like put the entire screenplay up on the Internet and it became like a meme to copy and paste the entire screenplay of B-Movie into various places. It's very strange. I it's don't really get truly, it. But. but have you watched it? No, I've never seen the movie. It is. I mean, I, I believe that it is deeply weird. I don't, I'm saying I don't under, I don't really understand yeah, the no. thing with pasting the screenplay into various things. But anyway, I just I don't know. There was I, I don't want to say too much about it because I kind of want people to watch it. And it honestly I went into it knowing so little except that people made jokes that a bee wanted to have sex with a, with a full grown lady woman. And mm -hmm. um, that that is true. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, at this point, if I saw that and that wasn't true, I would be deeply disappointed. Because <laughs> why else so would you weird. bother? It's so weird. I just yeah. Um, TV wise, I've been watching a lot of Teen Wolf, which is really silly but fun. Um, I started watching the CW's. Uh, new Superman and Lois show. I heard that one has a lot of weird parallels with WandaVision. I've been enjoying it. I I think um, I don't really I'm not a big superhero person in general. I definitely have never cared that much about Superman. But Superman as like a frustrated and earnest father trying to raise his twin teenage boys <laughs> is probably right. more uh, my parallels speed. with WandaVision. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, the kids are a lot more important in this than they were in WandaVision. But yeah. it's probably more my speed. Um, and the woman who plays Lois was the girlfriend in Grimm, which was a show that I hated with every fiber of my being by the time I started mm. watching it. But she was she was good in it. Um, anyway, it's it's three episodes in, so it's it's hard to say, and I I may like it less as it goes. But so far, I've I've been enjoying it. And then the other thing that I've been watching, and I don't want to talk about this too much because at some point we're gonna watch Crimes and Misdemeanors, and we can have our Woody Allen conversation then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, oh, have you been watching the the Pharaoh? Been watching Allen versus yeah. Pharaoh, which is truly brutal. Like yeah. just 
oh my god we yeah. we watched two episodes in a row on friday and by the end of it i was so angry and sad that i just like and a lot of the information that i already knew like <laughs> It's not like, you know, I I knew a lot of it, but I think, and I'm sure I will say this again whenever we get to Crimes and Misdemeanors, I think the thing about Woody Allen and the case around Woody Allen that particularly bothers me, I am prone to being really angry, not even as much with the abuser themselves, because that feels like a waste of time, but to being angry with the people who allowed that to happen and allowed that to keep happening. Um, mm-hmm. and facilitated it happening. And I think that the thing with Woody Allen that is so hard for me as someone who loves movies and like, like really loves movies and who has just like for the past 10, 15 years since I was more aware of the stuff with, with Dylan and such, um, has just consistently had to figure out how to deal not with what to think about Woody Allen. I know what to think about Woody Allen, but how to manage like critics that I love talking about how amazing Manhattan is Mm. and to feel like to feel like as a whole, this industry, which is not like I'm not saying the film industry is a great industry. It's not in a lot of ways, but it's meant a lot to me and to feel like so many people, even people that I really admire and respect um, you know, Manhattan was in Ebert's great movies, like mm-hmm. that they just decided that like Woody Allen's genius was worth more than the lives he ruined. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is like, it makes me feel worse about people than yeah. I normally do. <laughs> it is really heartbreaking. Yeah. I, uh, I have not been watching that one. I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad that it exists because I know there are like, there are plenty of people who have like, they know what happened. They they've heard the story and they've, or they've heard the story and they've been able to justify to themselves, believing that it's not true or whatever. Right. But I, I do suspect there are a lot of people who just don't really know the story still. So I think something like this is, is valuable for those people. Uh, but I know the story. I don't need to be convinced. I I don't feel the need to put myself through that. I mean, I guess that's, but, there is a part of me that feels like, that feels like there is value in like listening to Dylan's voice and like listening mm-hmm. to the other voices in that, even if you already believe her, like that yeah. she is just really doing her and, and Mia Farrow too, who 100% did not handle this situation super well. I've yelled at her on screen a lot. Um, but who I think most key when her daughter came to her and said, this is what happened, said directly and specifically, I will stand by my child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, made that made that decision. And I just I guess to some extent, I feel for myself a sense of I don't know if obligation is the right word, but like a desire to honor their telling their story and to hear it, even though it's hard, because I know I can and I want to see that and to to say honestly i hoped when i first started the show i kind of i think at some level i hoped it would feel more vindicating for me just to see a lot of people talking about woody allen and and feelings and stuff but i don't really feel vindicated i just feel sad and frustrated and whatever but it's it's still it's really well made the the um filmmakers who are putting it together have clearly just put an inordinate amount of research into it it's extremely well put together Mm -hmm. um and i really think at this point if you 
Like, if you watch this and say this didn't happen, then you are already determined to believe that this didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess I, I feel the same way about, like, the – is it Leaving Neverland, the Michael Jackson one? Yeah. Yeah. I, that was know, a story I'm, I'm, I knew I'm, a lot less of, though. So yeah. I, I did fair, feel like I needed I'm, – I'm glad it's out there. I think it's really valuable to have it out there. Uh, I don't really feel the need to watch it myself. But Yeah. Well, fair enough. But it's – yeah, it's – I had forgotten that Mia Farrow had video of Dylan talking about what happened to her. Like her, mm. ther- her therapist was was gone for the summer when it happened, and so every time Dylan started talking about the incident, Mia Farrow recorded her so that she. Oh could. really? I don't think I so there's the 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 last episode we watch has extensive video footage of Dylan at seven or how old she was talking about mm. what what he did to her. Um, and then Dylan talking about that. And she, she just, she has this monologue where, yeah, I don't know if it's a monologue. She's just talking, but <laughs> she has this, this bit where she talks about like, like, I really feel a lot of the time, like the little girl on that tape is like who I am at the core. Like if you strip everything away, like that is what is left is that very scared, very sad little girl. Um, and it, and it, it just, part of me is just like so amazed with and, impressed with her determination to continue like following this through and to be so vulnerable and willing to be open about this, even when she knows what the responses are a lot of the time. I don't know. I just, I think she's she's a really admirable person. Um, anyway, so, you know, like 1000% heavy fucking trigger warning, but it's, it's a really, really well-made thing. And if, you feel up to it, or if you don't really know a lot of the details, there are a lot of details. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, so I've been watching that. Um, I was going to try to think if I could end with something less depressing than, than that. <laughs> um, oh, I started the second season of Dickinson, uh, which is maybe not quite as good as the first season, but still really enjoyable. Okay. So you still haven't watched the first season, right? Nope. Okay, well, you should. And <laughs> yeah, no, it's it is my plan right now is to start it when I finish Search Party. Which cool. Oh yeah, I started watching Search Party. That's the thing. Oh, I you did. did. How far are you? I'm, I think, like seven or eight episodes in. Okay. I got distracted I, I, and started watching Teen Wolf. <laughs> right. Okay. I've got one episode left in the third season. It, but I'm watching it and finding myself frequently thinking, yes, I understand why Joel likes this so much, but not yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure that this is a this is a place where our Venn diagrams like super overlap. Like I don't That's hate possible. it. But so far at least it's not it's not doing the thing for me. One thing that I'll say that that might give you something to look forward to a little bit is just the, the the cast in that show gets more and more ridiculously impressive as it goes on. <laughs> like the initial of the initial cast, Aaliyah Shawkat was the only one that I knew about, and then Ron Livingston was in it pretty early, who I like a lot. Um, but as it goes on, it just keeps adding. Like I, Rosie Perez showed up in the first season, and Parker Posey showed up in the first season. Yeah, uh, Jay Cameron comes into it in season two. Oh. Um, Jay Duplass is in season two. Griffin Newman is in an episode in season one, I think. Louis Anderson comes into it. It's, uh, I just, the episode I just watched had Wallace Shawn. Chelsea Peretti shows up. It's like it's just like a parade of like character actors that I really love. He <laughs> just keeps showing up in it, and it's uh, it adds a lot to it for me. So, and like I said, I, I don't 
don't hate it. I, I'm overall enjoying it. But then when I started watching Teen Wolf, I started watching that instead for the moment. Yeah, okay. so I'm um, sure I'll, I'm sure I'll get back to it. But yeah, it, it, I will say it takes a very different direction after the first season. So I'm curious. That makes sense. <laughs> to see if that. Yeah. So okay. I mean, it's, I'm kind of like co-watching Dickinson and Teen Wolf right now. So it's possible when I finish right. the second season of Dickinson, I'll like shift over to that. Okay. But yeah, it's so I, I also been watching that. Anyway, okay. um, I think that's. I think that's about all I got. Yeah, we're at almost two hours here. So, what what a fun what a fun editing session this will be for me. This is probably gonna be our longest episode. Yeah, I think it's fair. It's fair. Yeah. Okay. Well, we will watch Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and chatter about. Yes, we will. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.